Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the recap edition, the Monday, December the 3rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins edge the Bills 21-17 and move to 6-6 on the year. We're covering the game from every angle on today's podcast, from Ryan Tannehill's second performance back from injury to how I ruined a Dolphins player's day. Plus, what exactly does this mean when going forward? We'll get to all of that, but first, real quick, as you guys know, I gotta kindly ask each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. That's how podcasts are judged. Helps us climb the chart, helps us get out to more Dolphins fans. Follow me on Twitter at WingfulNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. And last but not least, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and the Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We have a busy show for you guys here. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins. And first down on the Locked On Dolphins podcast today is brought to you by MyBookie, where you play, you win, you get paid. And by now, you guys are used to a normal Sunday formula, but we're going to do something a little bit different today as far as formatting goes on the podcast. Don't fret. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of the game, and we'll have the All-22 breakdown later on this week for you guys. But as most of you know, I got to experience the game in a whole new way today, uh, just an insane fashion today, and I wasn't alone. And in a second, we're going to bring on my staff editor at LockedOnDolphins.com. But in case you guys didn't see it on my timeline, and if you're not following me on Twitter, what are you even doing with your life anyways? LockedOnDolphins.com invaded Hard Rock Stadium today. From the alumni ceremony at the Walk of Fame pregame to the postgame locker room, we were there for all of it. So I want to share my experience with you guys. But first, let's go ahead and bring on my partner here. Jason Harina is the staff editor at LockedOnDolphins.com. And if you're not following him, you should be. He's at Miami D Punks on Twitter. He was with me at the game today. And Jason, I'm going to bring you on here with a little cheers as we celebrate today's victory. A nice 21-7 victory and... Just, I want to hear from you, man. What was your experience like? Because for me, it was fucking incredible, and I want to hear how it was for you. You know, Travis, I'm not sure what my expectations were for this experience. I really had no idea what to expect. And when the game was over, I was absolutely blown away. Everyone with the Dolphins and with Pepsi was very kind and hospitable, and they made this a very surreal experience for us. Yeah, it's pretty crazy just how open they were to everything, giving us the options and the ability to go into the locker room, up to the press box. Everything was just... We didn't really realize it until like everything happened. Like It never really hit us until it actually happened. But we are down here in Miami for the rest of the week, and I think it's safe to say that that was the most unique football experience I think we'll both ever have. And we're back again next week to do it all over again, so I guess we'll double down on that. And it started with the Alumni Walk of Fame ceremony, where we met a very interesting character. I'm talking, of course, about Dolphins star receiver, legendary receiver, one of the Mark brothers, Mark Clayton. Mark Clayton is the kind of player that Miami Dolphins really need on this team. He has the kind of confidence, he's infectious, and he's the passionate player this team last had with Jarvis Landry. If only we had some playmakers that had this kind of bravado. 
and he really provided that confidence and bravado just in the way he spoke to us. And it was like a little Pepsi event center. And he was just talking about like his touchdown record in 1984, I think it was, and talking about how in the modern era he would be dominating as far as yards go. And then it was time after that Mark Clayton discussion to induct six Dolphins alumni into the Walk of Fame. And for those that haven't been to this portion of Hard Rock Stadium before, it's the Joe Robbie Plaza. There's a statue of Joe Robbie, and the Dolphins' best alumni have their name forever ingrained on a star on the ground right outside that little statue there. And those players today were John Offerdahl, Mark Clayton, Mark Duper, Jason Taylor, JT himself, John Geisler, and Dick Anderson. And my only note from the entire thing was that Marino shows up at the very end and Sanka's there, Morris is there, all the usual suspects are there. And Marino rolls up at the very end and pulls the group together and gets the photo going, just like he did back in the day at the Orange Bowl, pulling the offensive huddle together back at the Orange Bowl, like I mentioned. So Jason, you were there for this with me. We were in the media portion. Do you have any thoughts on the Walk of Fame? This fan base really gets enough uh, misplaced flack for the lack of passion towards this team. Uh, The energy was there. The enthusiasm was there. We all saw it during the Walk of Fame with the Dolphins alumni. Um, Watching all their past heroes uh, lighten the mood and brought for a great introduction to the game. All of the energy is there. It's just been suppressed by this long stint of mediocrity. And that's the case we've kind of been seeing all season long and for the last several years now. And that brings us into a topic that I think segues well with mediocrity, and it sucks to say, but let's go ahead and move on to the one thing that everybody really does want to hear about this football team, because where else will we start besides Ryan Tannehill? And I suppose the numbers are good. It depends on how you look at it, I guess. He had a 103 passer rating, but there was plenty left on the bone for the offense to achieve in this game, especially early on in that game. Just 5.7 yards per attempt. He's obviously a very divisive figure for this team, and the more I see of him, the more I think that's really kind of justified because he does things that make you say, all right, that's really fucking impressive. And then other plays, you know, the high-level quarterback, like the first touchdown pass up to Devontae Parker, that was just a really good read, really good anticipation, good accuracy, but there's enough bad there that makes you thirst for more. And Jason, I'm just curious because we watched this game together at the press box. Omar Kelly was there, Armando Salguero, some of the biggest Tannehill detractors. And we saw Tannehill throw for three touchdowns, but it didn't go his way. How did you view Tannehill's performance today? I feel like we watched the reason why we want to keep Tannehill and the reason why we want to release him all within the first two drives. The toughness he displays is impressive, but his pocket presence and anticipation doesn't resemble a seven-year veteran. But it's evident that Tannehill's shoulder is bothering him. You could tell his passes don't have the same strength they had at the beginning of the year when they were 3-0. They're fluttering at their peak, which means they're not going to have much of a vertical game going forward. Look at the touchdown pass to Kenny Stills in the corner of the end zone. Was the ball just naturally underthrown and has nothing to do with his shoulder? It looks like Tannehill is trying to complete a pass as he would normally. He knows the trajectory and the speed he needs, but his shoulder betrays him and the ball is slightly underthrown each time. And that was obvious on a couple of throws, especially the interception up the sideline. I mean, he just he used to drive those balls and put them in the right place for, for guys to have a chance to run underneath them. And then the, the touchdown pass to Kenny Stills, I just, I mean, I know there was a lot of talk about that. We'll get to that later. But it seems like that ball probably should have been picked off. It, just based on the angle we had, the replays, it looked like the cornerback had undercut it and was going to make a play on it. But Kenny Stills comes up and saves the day. So this passing game, it just it continues to sort of flutter in a way that we don't want to see. What if I told you that Miami's top three passing games this season are Brock Osweiler with 380 passing yards, Ryan Tannehill with 289, and Osweiler with 241? Oh, and Osweiler is also fourth with 239. Yeah, so basically the passing game has been non-existent this year. And that's not a reflection of Ryan Tannehill versus Brock Osweiler accurately, I don't think. But it does kind of show you some 
some points where Tannehill is lacking in this offense and why things just haven't quite come together. I mentioned the stills that should have been INT slash touchdown that was. There was a play right before the first touchdown where Frank Gore runs a wheel route on a linebacker and he's wide open and Tannehill never never sees him. He actually checked out of it and came off the route and goes somewhere else. And then later in the game, I think it was the third series, he missed a slant on the first progression read and came off of it and took a sack. So there's just something missing there. It's really hard to quantify. It's, it's difficult to really put into words. But Tannehill, again, you know, a winning performance, a game-winning fourth-quarter comeback drive. But there are just so much, there's so much meat left on the bone that you just want more. All right, we're going to recap the rest of this game here and give you our best quotes from the locker room postgame, a rather jovial postgame locker room following today's win, including how I ruined the day of one of Miami Dolphins' rookie players. We'll do all that next, but first, a word from my bookie. As you guys know by now, I am quite a fan of laying some coin on the game. And yeah, watching football is fun. Watching the Dolphins hold off a Josh Allen winning drive is fun. But what is the most fun when watching football? Putting a little bit of cash on the game. You guys have heard me talking about this for a week, and you're still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little bit and win a lot, like playing numbers on the roulette, then the parlay is for you. If you lay down cash on three teams and you win them all, you could turn 100 bucks into 600 cash just like that. There's so much to bet on. College basketball, football, NBA, NHL, custom props, even esports. You name it, my bookie's got it. My bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with this year. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. MyBookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is super easy to use. Sign up this week, and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. Also, make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention and DM. And that's before I even mention they've given away $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season alone. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Don't miss out on the best weeks to bet on sports this entire year. Log on to MyBookie right now and use promo code LOCKEDON, that's one word, LOCKEDON, and get 50% deposit bonus on your deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDON. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. It's the recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast here on a Monday morning. The Dolphins beat the Bills 21-17 at Hard Rock Stadium and jump into the seventh spot in the AFC, just one game behind the Ravens for the last playoff spot, believe it or not. And we covered Tannehill and his showing in this game, but there was some leaky action in the offensive line in this game. After being one of the most surprising finds last season, Jesse Davis has had a disappointing sophomore year. He allowed two sacks, had a holding penalty, and had a false start all within the first half alone. Ted Larson fell victim to his usual bunch of pressure, and Jake Brendel wasn't much better replacing Travis Swanson at center. Looks like Miami will continue their annual offseason tradition and look to patch up a subpar offensive line once again. With an offensive line that features two first-round picks at the most important positions, it's baffling how poorly they perform each week. And it seems like, you know, we talked to Laramie Tunzel postgame. We're going to get into some of those comments later on, but he, you asked him the same question about how is it kind of coming, overcoming all of these changes they've had to make on the offensive line, and he preached it. You know, it's the next-man-up mentality, so these guys are certainly privy to it. They're aware of it, but that's, that's the life of the NFL. Injuries happen. They are not, they're not an excuse for these guys on the field, and they probably shouldn't be for us either. And real quick before I move on here, Jason, I want to talk a little bit about the tight ends because we don't have snap counts just yet. 
pro football reference and pro football focus don't have them up just yet. But from what I saw from our vantage point was that Durham Smythe and Mike Gesicki kind of alternated a lot in this game. I think probably Nick O'Leary was in there for the same amount as those guys. It might've been a timeshare all the way around for all three guys. So definitely cool to see the fact that they're getting some of these rookies back into the fold. Nick O'Leary, the one year extension. So good to see him out there. This tight end group, probably going to have to add a body at the end of the year, but they got lots of run in this game today. And moving on to the running backs here a little bit, we don't have to talk a lot about them with regards to Kenyon Drake or Frank Gore. Gore did get evaluated at some point in the medical tent. And that led to seeing a little bit more Kalen Bellage than we're probably used to at this point. And we'll talk about that wildcat call later on in the podcast. But Drake had the one big run, but his most notable moment really was when Jordan Phillips got him for that TFL and then got flagged. Jason, how great was that seeing a former Finn come back? And finally, instead of tearing us apart, coming back and really fucking up. It's absolutely poetic for a former Finn to come in and embarrass this team. This game featured Charles Clay, Matt Dar, and Jordan Phillips coming back to Miami, all for revenge games. Clay's lack of hustle coming back to the ball in that final play cost the Bills a dramatic victory. And though that might not have been plausible if it weren't for Phillips' mind-boggling taunting penalty on Kenyon Drake. I understand he wants to prove his former team wrong, but tossing Drake's leg to the side only further reinforces the Dolphins' reason for letting him go. And he had a good quote after the game that I thought was pretty interesting, not to kind of support his position, but really going against him. He mentioned that, you know, he got flagged in that play, but he left the game without the win, but he got Adam Gaze's respect. I don't really see how he did because he didn't do a whole lot in the game for the most part, rather than chomp his hands at the Dolphins' sideline after getting the taunting penalty, getting himself taken out of the game by the Bills coaching staff. So that was pretty funny to see. And speaking of the Bills defense, let's go ahead and flip it over to the Dolphins defense here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, the Monday recap edition. And it feels like we start with linebackers just about every single week on the show, and that's not going to change today. I tweeted at some point in the game that Miami needs to get away from using Kiko as the spy, and as bad as it sounds... Put him back into coverage because the thinking there was that if you spy Allen with Baker, you entice Josh Allen to throw the football because, well, he ran for 135 yards. And even though he threw for 234, you'd rather have Allen throw. And you can see why during this game. But Jason, how about this? Allen covered 812 yards on the field, not not getting up and down the field, but just running around in general, 812 yards on the field. According to Next Gen Stats, all that scrambling amounted to roughly half a mile. He ran for half a mile in this game. How crazy is that for a quarterback? We were joking in the press box about Miami's inability to take Allen down, but it's really not that funny to watch Allen run for almost as many yards as Tannehill threw for. I have to say, honestly, Josh Allen is a playmaker. He has the ability to extend and make plays. But that said, his inaccuracy will prevent him from being Russell Wilson or Cam Newton. Allen had plenty of opportunities to turn this into a lopsided Buffalo victory, and he missed on plenty of them. And you mentioned Russell Wilson, Cam Newton, even Ben Roethlisberger, who we just watched blow that game against the Chargers. A lot of the Dolphins players' postgame actually compared Josh Allen to Cam Newton and Ben Roethlisberger, so we'll see if we have to deal with that for several years to come. Let's keep going back on the Dolphins' defense here, though. Kiko... Kiko is a point of contention every week on the podcast. He's one of the more polarizing players because I think fans really misperceive what he means to this team, but we saw it firsthand today, Jason. What is your kind of take on Kiko right now? Kiko is such an interesting specimen. I really don't know what to make of him. Kiko looks like he knows what he's supposed to do on every play, and yet he still gets beat. He's so knowledgeable, and he's still a liability. He's great going downhill and will recover when going sideline to sideline. His motor is relentless, and his durability while on the Dolphins has been impressive. 
but he should never take a step backwards when the ball is snapped. He is a complete liability. And you mentioned kind of his play in unison with Raquan McMillan and those guys getting so much run on the base package, on the nickel packages. And it was funny, one of the touchdowns the Bills scored today was thrown between a trio of Raquan McMillan, Kiko Alonso, and TJ McDonald. It's just so poetic and so... So commonplace now for the Dolphins. And those issues continued into the defensive backfield as well, even though Xavier Howard bails the group out yet again with two picks. He now has multi-interception games three times this year, and that's to go along with two more last year. Five times in the last calendar year, the guy's got two picks in a game. That's absolutely insane. The guy's a full-blown star. But aside from that, Jason, how many times were there coverage breakdowns that had guys running just wide open in the secondary, but thankfully Josh Allen missed them? Xavier and Howard will get the spotlight after a second consecutive two-interception game, but that can't override the communication breakdowns in the secondary. We watched Bobby McCain pass Zay Jones to nobody in the back of the end zone for Buffalo's second touchdown of the game. We watched receivers run free down the sideline and drop passes off their fingertips, one instance with Rashad Jones closing in late. It seemed like the corner expected the safety help over the top, which we've seen in plenty of previous games before. This is becoming way too common for this defense. This defense is young, and they will only get better as they evolve, but it's hard to deny that the communication breakdowns have cost this team throughout the season. I asked Minka about this after the game, and he wisely wasn't going to admit this was occurring, saying, there isn't too much of a communication issue. While I respect him for sticking up for his defense, it's evident the issues are there. Miami was lucky those issues didn't cost them their 2018 season. You know, Jason, we really talked about the fact that this defense, there, there was more notes for the offense today because I think both sides of the ball didn't play their best game, but... Really, as far as the defensive line goes, Robert Quinn had the big sack late. Cameron Wake got pressure but couldn't close. And that seems to be the story for this defense time and time again. Devon Godshaw, I thought, played one of his better games. And Ziggy Hood was back in the backfield several times as well. So lots of ups, lots of downs. Kind of the common Dolphins game these days. And we're going to finish this podcast up with our final takeaways and tell you about a very happy Dolphins locker room post game. And we'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, at Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fins, and Jason Harina, my staff editor at LockedOnDolphins.com, is at Miami D Punks. Travis Wingfield, Jason Harina, on a Monday recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Here we're talking about a win on the show today, but I think the general consensus is that this win, it wasn't a pretty one. And I kind of think the general takeaway at this point, Jason, is that this team has more issues than assets. Which perplexes me because this team has talent and really should be performing better. Think about it. Miami has a first-round pick in Devontae Parker, a first-round pick in Ryan Tannehill, a second-round pick in Mike Jasicki, a third-round pick in Kenny Stills, although via trade, and a third-round pick in Kenyon Drake. And yet, they find ways to produce an average of 20.3 points a game. Just an underwhelming offense that has never put it together under Adam Gaze. And... You know, we talk about the play calling, and you can say surface-level things. I tweeted out during the game that he has a good red zone feel, and they create good plans to get touchdowns in the red zone, and I think that's true because they do create plans for Jarvis Landry, for instance, to score nine touchdowns, and, you know, Kenyon Drake's getting involved in the offense to score eight touchdowns, but then you go back to some of the issues with the holding calls, the penalties, the false starts, whatever it is that's bringing the hanky out, the Dolphins seem to find a way to commit it at such critical junctures in the game, and then the third and one wildcat play to Kalen Balazs, I just... I can't fathom why they would make that call, whether you want to call it a lack of trust in Ryan Tannehill, whatever it might be, it just did not quite work. 
And another point from Adam Gaze that I continue to harp on is going away from plays that seem to always work. It, they, they run stuff that works, that gets yards, that gets the drive started. Their drive starters on the first play of possessions always seem to be chunk gains. And then we go away from that and it's almost like they have to save it in their back pocket. So Adam Gaze continues to perpetuate the same issues, the same occurrences, the same decisions that bog this team down. And lastly, on defense, as far as Matt Burke goes, who we saw leaving the tunnel after the game today and gave him a good game, whether we believe that or not, that's for another story for another day. But we said it to him, but he continues to stick with Kiko Alonso. And more importantly, there's no dime defense. And I asked for it all offseason long, and they continue to allow teams to pick them apart on third and long. And frankly, I know most Dolphins fans don't want to hear this, but let's be honest. The, the Bills blew that game. The Dolphins win the takeaway battle 3-1. to one, And I talked about how Miami has only missed three field goals all year long, plus last year. So the last two years, they've missed three field goals. Their opponents have missed 13. And now it's 15 because Buffalo missed two kicks in this game, albeit one of those was a PAT. But it was a huge factor as the, as the Bills got into the red zone. They could have kicked a field goal and sent this game into overtime if they just converted a PAT, which is like a 95% operation in today's NFL. I don't know. The same issues are there and winning masks that for a week. But this team still does not look like anything better than mediocre. And for all the time to talk about how Miami should have won the Bengals game or the Colts game and how they collapsed, we really have to talk about how they should have lost the Bears game thanks to Cody Parkey. And we have to bring up Steve Hoshka's kicking misfortunes this game. Yeah, and it really continues the theme from the article I posted last week about Adam Gaze and how he's been pretty lucky in these games. And the result of being lucky has been a mediocre team. But was not what was not mediocre, easy for me to say, was the post-game locker room. Jason and I basically went right in after the game and guys were getting dressed. We sort of moseyed around and let the beat guys get their interviews in. But then we came back out of our shell and talked to some of the guys. And Jason, before I get into some of these quotes, just tell me about your overall experience through your lens, if you will, what it was like to kind of experience the Dolphins locker room post-game. Standing just a few feet away from these athletic marvels was really fascinating. All of these players are very nice and they were all very receptive. And while I understand it's part of the job, they didn't have to tolerate two amateurs walking up to them trying to record these conversations with an iPhone. <laughs> I appreciate their patience as we flip between being a reporter and a diehard fan. I have to say, the most unexpected sight was seeing uh, the size and stature of Adam Gaze. For all the comparisons people make to Gaze being a geek, they're completely shattered. He can easily kick a Jim Bro's ass. Dude, 100% agree because he came in, and I don't know if you guys are Rick and Morty fans, but when uh, Morty stares into the eyes of like the, the whatever that turtle is that hypnotizes him and changes his life and shows him what the world's really like, that's what Adam Gaze did to me. He walked in, we locked eyes, and he stared right through my soul, and I felt his presence. It was very strange. I've never been around someone that like, it's weird because I talk about his press conferences. I talk about what he is as a coach, his profession, and then to have him come in and like just be, you know, brimmed down over his eyes, the same long sleeve shirt, the dry fit, and just that demeanor. You can tell that guy commands a room. And I've always heard that he's the guy that kind of walks into a room and commands it. For all the things we say about him, it's a hundred percent true. I felt it today. It's very real. Now, as far as the press availability goes for some of these guys, I think the guys that go to the podium postgame don't really get talked to because Ryan Tannehill was all by himself, not with any of his teammates. He got undressed by himself. Some of the other guys were whooping it up and kind of having a good time. But Tannehill sat by himself, got undressed, went to the shower, headed to the podium, and he was out. So he wasn't available for any comments at his locker. Cameron Wake, same story. Guys kind of left him alone. The ones that people really wanted to talk to were Kenny Stills, Kenyon Drake, Bobby McCain, and of course Robert Quinn for that big sack at the end of the game. Now as far as guys that I talked to, 
And like I said, I kind of hung back and let other, other folks do their jobs first. But then after a while, I approached Minka all by myself and I drew a crowd. And I think I kind of disarmed him with my first question because I asked about Alabama and Jalen Hurts. And he was very receptive to Jalen Hurts, talking about him being his quarterback and how proud he was. And it was just such a mature, responsible type of response. And he was very concise in all of his points. I really just can't say enough about Minka Fitzpatrick. He maintained eye contact, was super respectful, and talked about a variety of things, like playing all the positions that he's played this year. And after he answered that, I asked him a follow-up question, which I thought was great. I asked him if he preferred playing on the outside, and he said he's liking it more and more, and that he does like playing on the outside. So that might be your answer long-term, folks. Minka Fitzpatrick as a cornerback on the outside. So a super enlightening guy, and to move on to another guy that wasn't as talkative or maybe open to the media, and I can understand why, was Laramie Tunzel, and he was kind of sitting by himself, so I approached him. I asked him about playing in the Pro Bowl and kind of what it would mean to him to get to Orlando. I first said Hawaii because, to me, the Pro Bowl always should be played in Hawaii, but I asked him about getting to Orlando, and he said, I just want to be there, very straight and to the point. And then the biggest quote or the best quote I got from him was talking about, I said, what was it like for you? Did you learn anything? Did playing left guard serve a purpose for you in your career trajectory? And he said to me, quote, let's just hope I never have to do it again. So Laramie Tunzel, not a fan of playing guard. Minka Fitzpatrick, a fan of playing on the outside. Another guy I talked to, Bobby McCain, is so respectful in the way he treats the media. He answers every question. He's always there, and he was very nice to us, talked to us for a little bit. I got a question in on him, but it wasn't a great answer, so no real point in rehashing that. Jerome Baker, I ruined his day, and I felt bad because he was pumped after the win. He's a reserved guy. He's a young kid, but he was a little bit downtrodden when I asked him if he felt like Ohio State got snubbed in the college football playoff. And he wasn't privy to the selection taking place at all. So it was me that broke the news to him that his alma mater is on the outside looking in. So the whole experience was insane. Talking to these guys was just awesome. We talk about them all the time on the podcast. I write articles about these guys. To have a chance to talk to them face-to-face and get some of their perspective was really cool. So Jason, for you, my last question here. Do you have any final thoughts, any burning points, or maybe just some general observations we didn't get to? You know, Travis... I find myself defending Tannehill and the misconceptions that float out there about him, but I think there's one component that explains why Tannehill doesn't have it. I don't believe Tannehill loves football. I go back to the Hard Knocks episode when he had no idea which NFL team plays in which division. I believe Ryan Tannehill wants to master his craft. He's a very smart and competitive person who wants to be the best at his profession, but this isn't natural for him. He can dissect a playbook and understand complex defensive formations. He's able to analyze his opponent like a textbook and react accordingly. But if you ask Tannehill to explain why he's performing that task, I'm not sure he understands. Watching Josh Allen improvise and extend plays compared to Tannehill's seven sacks further emphasize this. Ryan Tannehill tries to think while playing a position in which you need to be exceptional at reacting and anticipation. Yeah, and I don't think he, I just think that's something we've seen as time has gone on. We all kind of hoped he would progress and grow through that, and especially in Adam Gaze's scheme. But we saw it today. I mentioned earlier in the podcast in the first segment how he missed Kenny Stills in that slant route that really was wide open, and he checked it down and came back, and no one was there. Takes the sack. He misses Frank Gore on the wheel route. I talked about a play in the opener against the Titans, a little switch concept, and this is coming out of the break where he's supposed to be all fired up, and this new polished quarterback, they run a switch concept. Tannehill never sees the fact that he has a running back on a linebacker, and he misses the open read for a touchdown. So it just further illustrates that point that maybe, despite the fact that there's so many physical gifts, despite the fact there's so many wow plays, despite the fact that there's there's whole games, there's whole stretches, there might be a whole month where he looks like an all-star, it all comes back in the end, and he just kind of rounds out who he is, a quarterback capable of playing at a high level, but he's not going to give you that 
on a consistent basis. That's the general takeaway from this game. And maybe the shoulder has more to do with that than we realize. But nonetheless, those mental shortcomings, they show up every single week and they seem to be getting more and more or maybe not decreasing at all. But nonetheless, the Dolphins win the game. They're 6-6. Six and six. They're back in the playoff hunt. The Colts lose a big game to the Jaguars. The Ravens beat the Falcons. And the Dolphins find themselves at the seventh spot in the AFC. A huge game next week with the Patriots. If they win that game, it's on again. It's all back on. But as for this podcast, we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to be in Miami all week with nothing to do except for a few podcasts and articles. So hit us up on Twitter if you want to grab a beer. We're going to do it all over again next week for the Patriots game. And we'll get you guys prepped for that throughout the week here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast as well as LockedOnDolphins.com. But as for tonight's podcast, that is going to be my time today. Celebrating a win and celebrating a win on the podcast means we have to bring back a song we haven't heard for a few weeks now. Let's go ahead and queue up J-Rock here. You guys, please be sure subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Follow Jason at Miami D-Punks. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Victory Monday. Back tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up, fellas. Win, win, win.